When you drive the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power, you can stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see yourself behind the wheel of the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Kia received the fewest reported problems among all brands in the J.D. Power 2022 U.S. Vehicle Dependability Study based on 2019 models. See jdpower.com slash awards for 2022 details. Another episode of Sports Date with Kyle. Glad to have you on board for this, the fourth edition here of Sports Date as we prepare ourselves for the NFL season, fantasy football season, uh, in the throes of the baseball season. NBA going to ramp up here in a few months. So I appreciate you uh, staying tuned here to Sports Date as we're about to jump into the uh, the heavy part of the sports schedule that happens every fall with football, like I just said, football starting up pro and in college, as well as most other professional sports starting up here soon as well. A couple of things I wanted to get to today. Stay tuned. Later on, I'm going to have, you know, it's prediction season. It's time for the NFL season. Everybody's releasing their power rankings, their divisional rankings, and their picks, their predictions and picks for MVPs and playoffs and Super Bowl winners. I'm not going to do that today. What I have is some non-prediction predictions. So some things that won't happen and some things that won't matter in the NFL season this year. Uh, And as Steve so aptly pointed out on this week's Steve and Kyle podcast, uh, that is simply an avenue for me to give predictions just in a different format. So thank you to Steve for ruining the ruse behind that. So that'll be coming up here a little bit later in this episode. I did want to kick off this episode, though, by talking about something that just happened this past week. And that is the release of the 2020 Major League Baseball season not taking place for another seven plus months. Yet Major League Baseball must have felt a little left out as there appears to there's always a hoopla around when the NBA releases their schedule. They now do that on television for some reason, even though there's 82 of those. The NFL has a primetime television special special about their schedule release every year. So apparently Major League Baseball felt a little bit uh, like the neglected child in that in that family. So they decided to make a big spectacle of releasing their 2020 Major League Baseball schedules for each team last week, you know, in August. And I don't have a problem with Major League Baseball doing that. They're trying to kind of make a statement and still uh, remain relevant, you know, as this season drag on so long, you lose... Except for the diehards, you lose a big portion of your audience, a big portion of your of your fan bases as July and August kind of drag until you get to near playoff baseball in September and obviously actual playoff baseball in October when you can kind of uh, feel the tension rise up after the regular season is close to finishing and is over and you have the playoffs and the new wild card system and everything. So Major League Baseball is still trying to stay in the news cycle even in August as preseason NFL heats up and starts to take away most of the headlines. So Major League Baseball releases their schedule, which is fine. Now Major League Baseball has been at 162 games for a long time. 
The season has expanded, and it's a very arbi- it feels like a very arbitrary number. There's no rhyme or reason for 162, and therein lies my problem with Major League Baseball. What we have is not a pace of play problem in Major League Baseball. Sure, it is absolutely a problem that these games take almost four hours in some instances, especially on prime time and when the Yankees or the Red Sox, and heaven forbid, when both of them are are featured on a Sunday night baseball game. The pace of play is an issue they're addressing, but unless you make drastic changes to the pace of play, nothing's going to change. Cutting four minutes from a game is not going to bring in a viewer, bring in a fan who was there when, well, it was three hours and six minutes. Now it's three hours and one minute. Boy, that makes the difference for me. Unless you can find a way to make wholesale changes and adjustments that allow teams or that allow fans to be able to be out of a game in terms of a viewing experience or live experience in under three hours. You're not going to see any wholesale changes in Major League Baseball viewing or in attendance. It's just not going to happen. So in my po- in my point of view, the pace of play problem isn't easily rectified. That is a long-term situation that you see they're trying to do with instituting a pitch clock and pitching changes and all these minute changes. And that's not what I wanted to get into talking about Major League Baseball. That's for another time in another episode of Sports Tape. But what I did want to get to today like I talked about. The pace of play issue should take a backseat to what Major League Baseball actually has right now, which is a scheduling issue. Major League Baseball has decided in the last two years in negotiations with the Players Union to give more off days to the players, which is fine. It's totally necessary. You know, there's a lot of travel. Obviously, I mentioned 162 games in the same amount of time span that hockey and, and basketball are playing 82 games. They're playing two times as many games in the same amount of time. Now, granted, they're different sports. In that, Again, that's another topic for another episode of Sports Tape. The scheduling that Major League Baseball has decided on is the issue because the big solution that baseball has decided on is to simply start the games earlier which for the last few years now is weather changes around the country. For the last few years, it's been an unmitigated disaster. An absolute disaster. Snow days, freeze days, rainouts, which are commonplace in Major League Baseball. So they're trying to, rule, they're trying to make these not as prevalent to where teams aren't playing as many doubleheaders in August and September, but their solution is to try to jam these games in March and April when it's not practical to jam these games. It just simply doesn't work in places like Detroit and Minnesota and New York and Philadelphia. And, you know, you see these yearly blizzards and storms that come at random times and it ends up causing havoc on the Major League Baseball schedule. Because what happens now is all of these games that were in March, March 26th, the season starts next year. So all these games that are in March, that inevitably the first week and a half or two weeks of the season will have snow days. And I mentioned freeze-outs and rain-outs and all of that fun stuff with 38-degree temperatures that no fans even want to go to, especially if your team is not good or even trying to be good in the case of the Detroit Tigers. You're going to run into stacked dates in August and September 
where you have teams playing 10 games in 10 days, double headers, makeup dates that have to be finished while they're trying to race to the playoffs, you know, after they've played 140 games already and their bodies are beaten down and their rosters are depleted, yet there they are behind every other team in baseball because they still have to make up a game from March 28th when it snowed and we're in the end of September. You're stacking these games up. You're creating a problem. It's the classic Rob Peter to pay Paul situation. The It's inevitably you're kicking the can down the road. It doesn't make any sense to solve these problems by giving more player, players more off days by make, to make the season start earlier. That doesn't help anybody. All you're doing is making this problem a late summer problem. There's only one solution Major League Baseball can can really explore to do this. And it's simple, and they will never do it because they're terrified of this and are terrified of this change. They need to go to 150 games. 150 Major League Baseball games. You need to end it, or you need to begin the first or second week in April, and it's still going to be cold. You're still going to have rainouts. You're still going to have these snow days, just much less so than you would if you're starting on March 26th. And another problem I have with this scheduling format is Major League Baseball schedules day and date every team playing on March 26th. Every team. From Miami to Seattle to New York to Toronto. Everybody. Everybody's playing a game on March, March 26th. A lot of these teams have indoor stadiums. I've mentioned most of them don't. We've talked about the Minnesota Twins, the Detroit Tigers, New York Yankees. Most Major League Baseball stadiums are outdoors. And that's part of the environment around these stadiums and around these baseball games. Which, okay, it's fine. Pick a date. Pick March 26th. I think it's silly, but pick that date. My problem is with March 26th is it's a Thursday. Now that's fine. Throughout the season, throughout the summer, every Major League Baseball team will be playing on a Thursday. But they play Thursday and they take Friday off. It doesn't make any sense. You're giving extra off days throughout the year. No player is anxiously awaiting that off day after the long, arduous opening day one game. You're one game into 162. I would bet if you polled players, more than 90 to 95% of those players would prefer that off day that they have from Thursday to Saturday of the opening week of the baseball season to be lodged somewhere in August or September or even July when it's 95 degrees. Let's play when we're out of spring training. Let's be, you know, when we're at our healthiest, presumably. Let's get the games in. If we're going to play, why have an off day the second day of the Major League Baseball season? It's absolutely fascinating to me that they haven't found a way to fix this. You already have stadiums who only host day games for the first month and a half of the season because you can't host a night game in the first week in April in Detroit. You can't host a night game on a Saturday night in the Bronx on April 2nd. It's 40 degrees. Nobody wants to be there. It's too cold. As temperatures turn and the climate is, is, is changing, and it feels like it's taking a little longer to get warmer in the summer, Major League Baseball's only solution is to play during the day. Well, it's still cold, but we don't have to have the lights on, and it's not nighttime. That's not a solution to this problem. The solution to the problem is to cut the Major League Baseball season from 162, cut it down to 145, cut it down to 140. 
or 150. In that range, you can start the season later. You could end it a little sooner. You can throw some extra off days in there, eliminate that need for double headers later in the season. You're going to give a lot fresher legs to a lot of guys. You're seeing less and less players play more than 140, 150 games anyway. There's no Cal Ripken, Cal Ripken coming down the pipe right now. There's nobody who's going to play in that many games in a row. That's simply not the way sports are played. We Heck, the NBA plays 82 games a year, and they have LeBron James sitting 10 because of load management. The same with Kawhi Leonard. That's 82 games a year. This is 162. And I understand the difference, so I'm not going to argue with anybody online or on social media about the difference between the two sports. I understand that. I understand that baseball is not as physically constant as basketball or as hockey, anything like that. I understand. But my point remains... 162 times is a lot to do this game, especially for, you know, pitchers who are pitching 50, 60 times a year in relief. You know, outfielders running around on different types of grass to turf. Infielders running around in different types of infield, whether it be dirt or grass. It, it, it eventually breaks down your body and we're seeing less and less players play 150 games. So why not just eliminate this 162, which again is arbitrary. There's no need for it. 162, it doesn't matter. You're going to have teams finish 81 and 81, and divisions are going to come down to the last game of the season, whether it's game 162 or whether it's game 145. The number does not make a difference. If you're a 500 baseball team, you're going to be 81 and 81, or you're going to be 75 and 75. Does it matter? But again, this is a pretty simple concept to fix in my mind, one of baseball's biggest issues, one of the big stories about Major League Baseball recently is their attendance is down double-digit percentage points in this season. And we'll get into that this winter and next spring when baseball comes roaring back next spring again. And inevitably, everybody's excited about the season changing and baseball coming back until you realize that about 50% of the teams in Major League Baseball aren't trying to win. They don't want to win. You know, I talked about it in the uh, in the episode where I ranted about the Detroit Tigers and their rebuild. Well, there there's about 10 other teams in similar instances in Major League Baseball scratching their heads and wondering why attendance is down and viewership is down. They have a bigger tanking problem than the NBA has had and probably ever had because the NBA, at very at the very least, the NBA has a much more entertaining product to watch than baseball does and baseball just can't get their own they can't get out of their own way right now in terms of trying to stay updated and stay relevant with the times and with a with a generational gap who simply does not care about baseball as much so they have in my mind the biggest struggle coming up and as much of a pace of play issue as it is i think they have a scheduling problem even more so so we'll be I'll be curious to watch this season unfold and see how those TV numbers and attendance numbers finish the season out. The main thing I wanted to get to this week though as I talked about the NFL season is here. We are through 2 weeks of the preseason. I used to be that uh, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed young fan who couldn't wait, didn't matter. Didn't matter if it was preseason week 1. I was there in front of the TV you know, trying to figure out who was going to be the 53rd man on the roster for my Detroit Lions. And as I age, I realize how unimportant and 
how much of a money grab the NFL preseason is. That's just my cynicism rearing its ugly head, though, as I uh, as I lose a little bit of interest in meaningless football that is simply meant to try to carve out spots that might not even make the roster and definitely spots that won't have an impact on the roster with players and talent that are borderline and marginal professional talent to begin with. But as the NFL season approaches, I have my version of the predictions. You know, like I talked about, you have ESPN, you have everybody doing their predictions, you have fantasy football coming out. I'll talk about that in a little bit here after I get done talking about the NFL season. You have all of the power rankings, all the predictions, and all of the uh, the analysts and the experts coming out of the woodwork. It's like they woke up from hibernation in June and decided, hey, it's time. NFL's around the corner. Let me get my notepad out and start you know, developing some hot takes. Got to get some takes and some predictions down for this NFL season. So I decided I better do that in my own way. So what I have here is 10 not prediction predictions. Some things that won't happen, some things that won't matter in the upcoming NFL season, as well as one final caveat of an actual prediction, a I do prediction that's coming up here uh, when I wrap up my not prediction predictions. So the first one I have for you today, I don't think Carson Wentz will have any after effects from his injury. Now that injury he suffered lingered into last year, and I think you could tell they even uh, there was obviously the debate about well should they should they keep Nick Foles before he left for Jacksonville, which if you think about it is crazy to have. I don't think he'll have any after effects. I think we're going to see a Carson Wentz this year that is very reminiscent of two years ago for the Philadelphia Eagles, who was on his way to probably winning the MVP. Which is insane to think about. The Philadelphia Eagles were not very roundly applauded for this Carson Wentz pick a few years ago. A young quarterback out of the middle of nowhere. And he's turned into an absolute stud. And I think Carson Wentz is more likely to be like his two years ago self rather than his last year self. Which is bad news for the rest of the NFC East. And I'll get into that in a prediction here coming up in a second. I don't think Patrick Mahomes will take a giant step forward. And that's not a knock on Patrick Mahomes from the Kansas City Chiefs. That's simply saying, I don't know how much more forward he can get from last year. The guy threw a bundle of touchdowns, looked dynamic on every play. He can sling the ball out of a stadium and run the football. It looks like he is going to be a perennial all-pro quarterback. But I really think in my years of watching football and especially playing fantasy football, this matters. The sophomore slump is real. The sophomore slump happens in quarterbacks. It happens in running backs. Those are two of the toughest positions. You try to stuff your head with too much info. And again, he might very well regress not as much as a lot of second-year quarterbacks. And it's very hard to take a step forward from what he did last year, looking as good as he did pretty much the entire season and his first year starting at quarterback. I don't think Patrick Mahomes will take a step forward. I don't think there's a clear-cut favorite in either conference. I've talked about this with the NBA, and especially with the move with uh, with Kawhi Leonard. It's very similar in the NFL right now. There's a lot of parity. And I think in the AFC and NFC, you have legitimate contenders. The NFC, you have the New Orleans Saints, who are just as good. You have the Philadelphia Eagles, who won the Super Bowl two years ago. 
They're very good. You have the Los Angeles Rams, who made the Super Bowl a year ago. And you also have probably the best quarterback in all of football, when he's healthy, in Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, even though I don't think the rest of that team is very good. You have, I think, in either conference, four to seven teams who could flesh themselves out as Super Bowl contenders. Last year, I don't know if anybody looked at that New England Patriot roster and thought that's a Super Bowl roster. And obviously, we all know what happened with that. This year is one of the more intriguing layouts I have seen. The Los Angeles Chargers are very, very good in the AFC. The Patriots won the Super Bowl a year ago. The Kansas City Chiefs, you know, they they probably should have made it to the Super Bowl a year ago, played in the the most exciting game of football against the Rams I've ever seen, and they had an an all-time classic against the Patriots in the playoffs. The Kansas City Chiefs are right there and in line to possibly make a run to the Super Bowl as well. There's a lot of teams on both sides. This is going to be a very fun season to watch and see it work its way through you know, into November and December when you can really start to see who's an actual Super Bowl contender and who were we way, way wrong on. Speaking of being wrong, I don't think the Chicago Bears have solved their kicking problem. That's not really hard to see. They've brought about six kickers through their training camp after the disaster that was the last postseason, missing a 43-yard field goal to knock them to be eliminated from the playoffs. And somehow, they have whittled that list down to somebody named Eddie Pinheiro, who's never kicked in a National Football League game. I don't know how this wasn't day one, minute one, solve this problem first and foremost for the Chicago Bears, Yet somehow they're about to enter another season in a kicking situation that I think is somehow worse than a year ago in a league that has only gotten better around them. So those close games are going to mean much, much more than they did even a year ago. And regret it and uh, have as much anger about it as you might. Kickers are still a major factor in the NFL, as we saw last year, the Chicago Bears being eliminated from the playoffs. The halfway marker here. I don't think the Dallas Cowboys will make the playoffs. I mentioned the Philadelphia Eagles. I think the Philadelphia Eagles are going to win that NFC East, and I think they're probably going to win it running away. The New York Giants are not very good. The Washington Redskins are possibly even worse. The Dallas Cowboys, the only conversation I've heard about the Dallas Cowboys is about their contracts. They got Jason Witten back. They have Amari Cooper, a full season by all By all accounts, they should be a good football team. I just don't know if they will be. I don't know that Jason Garrett is a coach who can bring that team over the hump. I don't think the Dallas Cowboys will make the playoffs. They'll have to make it as a wild card. And as I mentioned, that's going to be tough. You have the Kansas City Chiefs and the LA Chargers in one division. You have the Patriots who are no doubt going to win the AFC East. No other team's going to come out of there. They're going to have to beat the Eagles or they're going to have to show up in a lot of their uh, non-conference games and their non-divisional games in order to sneak in as a wild card. I really think that's the Cowboys' only avenue in, and I don't think they're going to do it. I don't think Melvin Gordon will miss games due to his contract. This offseason, we've seen two two running backs of different talent. We have Ezekiel Ezekiel Elliott, who is probably a top two to three running back in the National Football League right now. And Melvin Gordon, who's, he's okay. Nobody's looking at Melvin Gordon and going, he's a standout running back. His numbers don't, 
don't pop out. They don't make you go, oh, wow, I need a running back like that. He's proven to be a serviceable running back who's on his rookie contract, and he wants an extension. Now, I know that running backs are, you know, essentially throwaways. You use them for a few years, and you pitch them, and you're on to the next one because their legs are shot, and they're not as good as they were two years ago. And in the case of Melvin Gordon, I would almost agree with that, and it feels weird to talk about a professional athlete like that, but with Melvin Gordon, you can replace that production. Melvin Gordon is making a mistake, and he's, I, I get what he's trying to do. You need to maximize your... You need to maximize what you can make when you can make it, especially in the NFL where the average career is three years, and especially at the running back position where you could be just tossed into the garbage next week as they make way for the new late-round draft pick who's cheap. So I don't think Melvin Gordon will end up missing games. He's going to have to play out this contract because he will not see a year of service added, which means he will be in the exact same spot as he is this year. Next offseason, if he skips games, and he'll be a year older. As you approach free agency, you're a year older, which means you're a year less valuable to the free agent market. I don't think, and this is going to upset a dear friend of mine listening right now, so I apologize, Chris. I don't think the Green Bay Packers will make the playoffs. Now, they made a lot of changes this offseason. You saw uh, head coach Mike McCarthy gone. You saw them bring in head co- new head coach Matt LaFleur who only had one year of being an offensive coordinator for a middle-of-the-road Tennessee Titans team. You have Aaron Rodgers, and you really don't have much else. You had Devontae Adams, but Aaron Rodgers has this syndrome where he makes wide receivers around him better than they really are. Randall Cobb, Jordy Nelson, you've seen these guys leave and essentially flame out of the league in one to two years. And that's that's not a the Packers are just geniuses and they know when to let go. That's a lot of Aaron Rodgers doing that. Aaron Rodgers is a very good quarterback, and that's hard for me to say as a Detroit Lion fan. But that Packers team is not very good. They let all pro defensive tackle Mike Daniels walk. Last year they let Clay Matthews walk. They're trying to get younger. Their secondary is essentially all under 25 years old. They've drafted a bunch of pieces for that secondary in the last few years. But they're really not very good. And they're in a division now the Chicago Bears surprised everybody last year with possibly the best defense in football. And the Minnesota Vikings, the year before, were the division winners in a surprise. Those two teams are very, very good. The Packers are competing with the Detroit Lions right now for third place in that division. That's a far fall for the Green Bay Packers. They're in the same spot as the Dallas Cowboys. They're probably going to need to sneak in as a wild card. And that's going to be very, very tough. You have a lot of top-flight teams who are going to be in similar spots trying to sneak in as a wild-card position, so I don't think the Green Bay Packers make the playoffs this year. I don't think the Los Angeles Rams will repeat and go back to the Super Bowl. This goes back to my main theme here. The NFL is more has more parity than it has in years of being a fan of the league. I mentioned all the teams. I'm not going to go over them again. The Rams have an uphill battle. They didn't get substantially better this offseason. Their quarterback, you know, sure, Jared Goff should take a step forward. Sure, Todd Gurley should be healthy. But the problem is they lost some talent on both sides of the football. They really did. C.J. Anderson was the one who carried that team. Think about it. C.J. Anderson, a guy who didn't even play the full season last year and was on three different football teams, carried that team to the Super Bowl because of Todd Gurley's injuries. 
you have a good wide receiver crew, but you lose Indomitian Sue on the defensive side of the football. Take with that what you will. A lot of people think Indomitian Sue is more of a cancer than he's worth. You know, that offensive line's a year older. You know, they had Andrew Whitworth, who was a stalwart. He's in his late, mid to late 30s now. I don't think the Rams got substantially better, and now the rest of the NFL wants to play McVay ball. You're going to start seeing copycats of McVay ball with different units and different offensive sets. I think the Rams take a step back this year, and I don't think they make it to the Super Bowl. I don't think the worst team in the NFL will come from New York or New Jersey. Talking about the Jets and the Giants. They are both very bad. But the Jets and the Giants are steps ahead of the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, not a lot going for them. Can name maybe three talent positions. They traded for they traded for Josh Rosen, which was a smart move for them if he I think he'll pan out and be a very fine starting quarterback for them and definitely a step up over Ryan Tannehill and Matt Moore. But you don't have much else. Kenyon Drake is your running back, splitting carries with somebody named Kalen Balage. You have Cameron Wake on the defensive side of the football. That's it. That's it. There's not a lot of talent in any position outside of uh, Cameron Wake, and they have a really, really nice young cornerback as well that they just paid a handsome amount of money. You have two really good players on that team, and the rest, the Miami Dolphins, should be the absolute worst team in football. And I, I don't want to give the Jets and the Giants a pass. They will both be very bad, but I don't think the worst team in the NFL will come from the state of New York this year. And lastly, I don't think Eli Manning will start more than 12 games this year. The New York Giants are trying to pump the brakes on Daniel Jones after they were laughed out of uh, the draft area this year after drafting Daniel Jones at six, and Dave Football Gettleman defended that pick. And you, you obviously take a quarterback that early, presuming he's going to take the reins over. Now, I know what they want to do is play Eli Manning out this year, and they would like to give the reins to Daniel Jones. Now, Daniel, Daniel Jones is no Patrick Mahomes, but in an ideal world for the New York Giants, they play Eli Manning out. They maybe go 8-8, eight 9-7, and, eight, nine and seven, which isn't very realistic for that roster, who is, which is very depleted and sold off into parts this year. And then next year you can hand the reins off to Daniel Jones, like I said, and he can kind of take that team the next step. That's not going to happen. They're not very good on any end of the football. They have Evan Ingram is their number one wide receiver, and he's a tight end. Golden Tate, one of their big wide receiver free agent offseason off signings, suspended for four games. They've had nothing but injury issues early on. They can't get wide receivers on the football field. They have Saquon Barkley and some pretty good young defensive talent, but not enough to even be a competitive football team. I think Eli Manning's on borrowed time, and when you're sitting there at 3-8, and eight, if you're sitting there at 2-7, and seven, anything like that, and you're the New York Giants and you don't make a change, in the state of New York and the city of New York and New York media and sports talk radio, you are going to be absolutely demolished by the media if nothing is done and Daniel Jones doesn't at least get a crack at the starting job at that point. I don't think Eli Manning makes it through more than three quarters of this season. And lastly, the one caveat I have. Enjoy it while we have it, folks, because I do think that there will be a work stoppage after the 2020 NFL season. I'm not going to get into the details. Uh, there's 
a big, a lot of labor negotiations coming on, and I will have plenty of time to talk about it in upcoming episodes of Sports Tate. But I think we have this season, and I think we have next season, and I think for the first time in a long time, we are looking at a work stoppage and a potential massive labor issue in football. I think we're looking at a labor issue in baseball. Those two sports are on borrowed time as far as I'm concerned, as I see no progress and a lot of really big gaps that they have to somehow bridge between the players' union and the owners before the NFL season in 2020 or in 2020 and into 2021 can take place. So that is my non-predictions for this upcoming NFL season. You know, I mentioned fantasy football before I got into those, and it is that season. I took a year off of fantasy football, making my way back into it this season. If you have any questions on the weekends, Sunday mornings, you know, you got to lock those lineups in before Sunday kickoff. Send them my way at Stephen Kyle at KPAFF3587 with hashtag AskTheGuru. And yes, I say that fully ironically. There is tongue-in-cheek saying that, so please don't take that seriously. But send your fantasy football questions and lineup issues my way on Sundays this NFL season at Stephen Kyle at KPAFF3587, and I can help you along with those. We'll do that this football season. I did skip it last week, so I don't want to skip it again. So it's time to rate my take. I have a lot of these backlogged. I want to thank everybody for participating this last week in the inaugural week. You know, that's when summer starts is the middle of August of hot take summer. Everybody chiming in with their hot takes, releasing them on Twitter. It was a take volcano going on on social media this past week. Couldn't have been more proud of the hot take family uh, as everybody chimed in. And then we started off and then we finished the week with hot take Friday and we were finally able to get my partner in crime over there at the Stephen Kyle Podcast. I even got Steve in on the hot takery this past weekend as well. Uh, glad to see that. I think we'll do that every week. Hashtag hot take Friday. As always, though, please send in your takes. Life-related, sports-related, it doesn't matter. Send them my way at KPAFF3587, at Stephen Kyle on Twitter, or also you can call us. At the number I'll read at the end of the episode, because I always forget it. It's 424-30-SK-POD. Leave me a voicemail. Send me a text message there. I am backlogging these, and if I don't get to your take uh, in this episode, I do have them all saved for coming episodes uh, for Write My Take. So this week I wanted to get to a few that we had. From Jeremy Koss. Koss Jeremy Koss is a fan of the Stephen Kyle podcast in a late a late arrival to the Stephen Kyle podcast and jumped on sports Tate. Always love to see that. So the first one we have from Jeremy is the Browns will not win more than six games this year. Baker will hit a sophomore slump. Ah, see somebody has been listening. Somebody has been listening to the episode of the of sports Tate that hasn't been released. Talks about Baker hitting the sophomore slump. His O-line will regress. And last year they got lucky that they didn't have many key injuries. You know, there's a lot to agree with there. That is an impressive take as you see the Browns who were 7-8-1 and one last year as they look to they're the most popular team on social media. It's not even close. Not even close. Everybody's raving about the Browns. You have Baker Mayfield at the, and Odell Beckham in the top five of NFL merchandise sold. You have you know national games for the Cleveland Browns that we've never seen the likes of. This is shaving up to either be 
One of the most remarkable stories and comebacks of a franchise ever? Or shaping up to be an implosion on a national level? And I see Jeremy going on a limb saying the Browns will not win more than six games. That is, Jeremy, a certified hot take right there. That is eight out of ten fire emojis to rate hashtag rate my take as he predicts the Cleveland Browns to take a step back. Uh, I don't know if I agree with him. You know, I'm not a Browns fan. But, man, oh, man, that defensive line got really good. That offense got a lot better. You have uh, the running back position substantially better. Like we talked about, though, watch out for that sophomore slump. Baker Mayfield, Chubb at running back. You do have some some issues there where maybe they're trying to do a little too much at once and maybe they take a step back from where they were a year ago. Another take I wanted to give or that I wanted to rate from our, my friend Derek Moore on Twitter NCAA players are paid. They get a free education with room and board. Hashtag no need for a paycheck. I think in today's day and age, Derek Moore's take right there, well, one is wildly incorrect. I think it's dumb. Derek, but that is that is a hot take. That's a 6 out of 10, though, because that's still one of the more divisive arguments that people have had about the NCAA and whether play, players should be paid at all is that, well, they are. They're getting that education. They're getting that room and board. Well, sure, but so are other kids on, on, you know, academic scholarships. These guys are bringing in millions and millions of dollars to the university, whether it be football, basketball, television rights, the jerseys they sell. They're bringing millions of dollars to these universities, putting their bodies on the line, and their pay is the exact same as a geology scholarship winner. And I'm not slighting the geology scholarship, you know, college graduate. They're not bringing in millions of dollars to their university, though. So, Derek, I think your take is wrong, but I respect your hot take. Six out of ten for one of the more divisive hot takes and uh, takes in general regarding NCAA athletes and sports. Last one I'm going to rate today from my friend Brandon Watson on Twitter. Refried beans are terrible. That's it. And boy, oh boy, did Brandon Watson hit the nail on the head. And I love it when I see a hot take on social media that I haven't thought of, but I agree with. It makes me feel like I'm further immersed in the take volcano and the hot take family. Brandon Watson nailed it. It's absolutely filler from the texture to the consistency to the quality. It's absolute garbage filler. No food needs it. Perfect take, Brandon. I love it. That's a 9 out of 10 hot take. Wouldn't have ever thought about it in a million years. And that's the type of take I love seeing and love reading here on hashtag rate my take on the on sports take. So please send those along. Again, we'll do another edition of that next week on sports take. And I see we're running a little bit long, so I will I will move what I'm obsessing over to next week as well. I do have some of those in the queue. So I wanted to thank everybody for listening. Again, get those takes and hashtag rate my take at KPAFF3587 or at Stephen Kyle on Twitter and Facebook. You can also text or leave me a voicemail with your take at 424-30-SK-POD. Please do that and I can I can play that. And also hashtag ask the fake guru on Twitter. Sunday mornings for football season can help you Fill out your fantasy football lineups as we go into another season 
of fantasy football, which is almost as important as the regular football season is in general. So thanks again to everybody for listening. Get everything in you can. Love to see that interaction. We'll see you again for another hot take for a happy hot take Friday to everybody as we get close, get close to closing up hot take summer here. Hashtag hot take Friday. Please chime in. Let them loose this week. Let the take volcano explode. No need to keep that evil inside of you. Let's get them out there. Have a good one. We'll talk to you next time.